Thank you for listening to Ask the Pastor, a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. I'm your host, Allie Keaton, and I'm really excited to dive into our question this week. This week's question comes from Brandon, and he says, Hey, Pastor Will, I wanted to see if you could recommend a simple prayer of confession and a prayer of salvation for a work Bible study I'm doing this week. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for that question, Brandon. Uh, This is a tough one for me, Um, tougher than perhaps some of you might think it should be for a pastor. I mean, of all people who uh, should be able to share the gospel at the drop of a hat, but Uh, It's not the gospel um, that trips me up and causes me to pause here so much as it is, um, as I've told y'all in the past in sermons, that I just want to be very careful here to represent um, Brandon's question fairly and exactly as he's posed it to me here. But the the phrase that I get hung up on here in uh, Brandon's question is prayer of salvation. Um, And here's why. So if Brandon, if uh, and he's certainly not alone in um, his desire and search for a prayer of salvation, we see that language crop up all over uh, evangelical Christianity and churches and sermons, gospel tracts and, and altar calls, which are kind of falling out of popularity, but still a thing, and some, especially Baptist churches. But the language of prayer of salvation seems to imply or could imply to me that uh, there exists some prayer that when prayed results in the salvation of the one praying. And I think that that idea, if it's if we're understanding it that way, is unbiblical. Um, if there was such a prayer, a just pray this and then you're good, you're, you're into heaven kind of prayer, then we would and we should expect that prayer to be included explicitly in Scripture, um, spelled out in very precise, specific wording in the Bible, but it's simply not there. And so to take us back to the sermon from this past Sunday uh, on Jesus versus religion, I think God, my take on that is I think God made sure that the salvation prayer isn't included in his word because he knew that such a prayer could very easily be perverted, distorted, reduced to a religious ritual, a rite of passage for people, a just check this box, just in case kind of thing. And as we recognized last Sunday, God is after so much more than our simply checking a box. He wants more than a prayer. He wants our lives. He wants our whole hearts. In fact, uh, the passage that comes closest to me to prescribing an action on our part that would result in salvation would be Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, where Paul declares, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So there is this mouth component to faith, this externalized, uh, you you ought to do this component to it. But there's also the heart. It can never just be about confessing with the mouth. Just pray this and you're in. We, we can't get around the mouth and the heart, around this call to believe, to trust, to pistuo in Greek, faith, hope in Christ, in all your heart, to, to give your heart to him, to stake your life on him. And so to me, uh, the articulation of that kind of a whole heart, a whole life, whole uh, heart devotion and investment simply cannot be reduced to a cookie cutter prepackaged prayer. Um, now, all of that said, uh, that's the qualification, the first four minutes of this. 
But Brandon, on the flip side of that is, Brandon, if Brandon is asking, Pastor, it sure appears as though my coworker is expressing a sincere, genuine, heartfelt change of heart that the Holy Spirit is moving and birthing a new faith, a new trust, pistuo in Christ, in his heart. And Pastor, I just want to be able to help him put words to that, articulate that, help him mark that in some kind of significant way such that you know, he'll be able to look back on this moment as his day of salvation, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 6. Well, in that case, Brandon, I don't take issue with that impulse at all. I think that is a wonderful instinct um, to want to serve him in that way. In fact, I, I think that is absolutely part of our calling as believers with our evangelism and our discipleship of others to help them put these internal realities, these heart transformations that, that are what really matter their heart to put that into words and uh, ultimately into action too. Uh, that's a wonderful God-honoring desire on Brandon's part um, to, to serve a, a new infant believer, his co-worker in that way. So if I could take the liberty of interpreting his question in that way, not as, hey, is there a prayer that I could teach this person to pray so that they can be sure they're saved and get into heaven, but rather, um, Hey, could you suggest a prayer that I could examine alongside my co- coworker, the content of which could only be sincerely prayed by a true believer? And, and so uh, while I recognize that praying this prayer won't get him into heaven, otherwise it would just be another form of workspace righteousness. It would be something that we do to effectuate, to bring about our own salvation. I did this thing. I prayed this prayer. It was me. It's not that, but rather... If I can interpret Brandon's question as, you know, I, want, I want a prayer that I could hold up for him and say, hey, this is a prayer that contains everything that a person of genuine faith needs to faith in, to believe in, must give their heart and their life to in order to be saved, then I would be happy to suggest that kind of prayer. And the content of that prayer in a word would be the gospel, the good news of Jesus Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So, co-worker, friend, you, you want to know the power of God for salvation? Uh, Paul says here it is. It's believe in the gospel. So, what is the gospel? Well, I'd refer you back to a sermon I preached uh, on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, entitled, entitled uh, The Most Important Verse in the Bible. And really, frankly, I'd refer you, I, hopefully, uh, to any sermon that I've preached at West Hills, any of them, uh, because if you don't hear the gospel preached explicitly every week from your church friends, it's time to find a new church. Uh, that doesn't mean that we repackage the same sermon every week. It just means that if Jesus tells us in John five thirty nine that all scripture bears witness to him, that he is the point of every passage of scripture, Old Testament and new, uh, is that we would see Jesus. Um, that means that any sermon, any interpretation and application of, of any passage of Scripture ought to be pointing us back to Jesus. He is the good news. And here's how Jesus himself put the good news in Mark 1.15, the most important verse in the Bible. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so if I could translate and summarize that for us, the good news is that the wait is over. Because I, Jesus, am God's promised and your long-awaited king. And to really understand what he means by calling himself our king, 
and to further contextualize the gospel so as to grasp why this proclamation from Jesus is such good news for us, we need to understand four basic truths. Some Christians call these the four spiritual laws. Uh, Whatever you call them, these are the four acknowledgments that must be present in the heart of a believer, and yes, ideally, in their external prayer of salvation as well, if their faith is to be considered biblical and sincere. And uh, as was the case with the whole idea of the prayer itself, there's nothing magic about the words I'm about to use when I lay out these four truths for you. You can put it in your own words, um, but the core truths, these four core truths have to be there, I I believe, for biblical, holistic um, faith in the gospel. Number one, God is perfect. Number two, I am sinful. Number three, Jesus is Savior. And number four, faith means following. All right, so let's just briefly unpack each of those because the gospel is so easy. You can share it in 30 seconds with a stranger in the checkout line at Schnucks. Give an unbeliever everything that that she needs, everything she needs to know that's necessary in order to be saved. And yet, the gospel is so rich in its depth and its beauty that one can spend his or her entire life uncovering new insights and treasures that lie within it. And indeed, that's what our calling is as as Christians, and that's what what our heart's desire should be, to grow just deeper in our gospel identity. But let's go with the kind of four-minute version here. Number one, God is perfect. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created, and it was good. Psalm 18.30 says God's way is perfect. There are dozens of good accompanying Bible passages we might want to memorize, to go along with, put with each of these four points. But so long as we get the idea across that, that any prayer of salvation has to start as the Bible itself does, as every prayer ought to, as the beginning of each new day should for us as believers, it all starts with God. It doesn't start with us. Um, doesn't even, I would argue, start with God's love for us. It starts with God, with God, his holiness, his goodness, his perfection, his worthiness of all our praise and devotion. But that recognition should pretty quickly lead us to a second one, which is number two, that I am sinful. Uh, When I recognize who God is and begin to see him for who he is, it also puts in perspective who I am, (laughs) that I am not perfect, that God created me for good in his image. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, he created me for good works. Isaiah 43.7, he created me for his own glory. But Romans 3.23, I have fallen short, way short of that calling of that purpose for my life, that I've sinned. And as the Greek term for that means, I've missed the mark because God is perfect and wants nothing less than the best for me, his beloved child, and designed heaven for perfect people only. That means that Romans 6, 23, the wages of my sin, what my sin rightfully earns me is death, eternal separation from a holy, perfect God. But this is where the news starts to get good again. But number three, Jesus is Savior. God so loved the world, and he so loved me, and so loved you, so loved Brandon's co-worker, John 3.16, that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes, if I believe in him, I shall not perish, but have eternal life. Believe that Jesus bore my sins in his body on the cross to pay the penalty that I rightfully owe, to satisfy God's righteous wrath against my sin, to trade his righteousness for my unrighteousness, 1 Peter 2.24, 2 Corinthians 5.21, again, tons of scripture. 
This is the, the point of all of Scripture is pointing to this. But ultimately, Jesus is Savior. And in his, not only his death, but in his resurrection from the grave three days later, he raised me to new life with him and in him as well. Uh, I, I am a, a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, uh, but Christ who lives in me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and uh, uh, Galatians 2, 20. Go on and on. Ephesians 2, Romans 6. These are, this, is, this is the good news of all of Scripture. And that is all great news, but all of that hangs on number four. Faith means following. Ephesians 2, 8. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And so you can cognitively understand God's perfection, uh, your sinfulness, and Christ's sacrifice in your head. But at the end of the day, if you aren't ready to bet your life on him, if you aren't ready to surrender your heart to him, because remember, for God, it's always been about our hearts. Uh, And Jesus redefines love not as a feeling but as an action. 1 John 4.10, this is love that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. John 14.15, and so faith, true New Testament biblical faith is not empty belief. It's not reciting some words. It's not intellectual assent. Faith is a heart transformation, reorientation. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent literally means to turn in Greek. I was walking in this direction, following my own heart, but now because of these truths, because of the gospel, I'm going to turn and follow Jesus instead, pursue his heart instead. And uh, as the passage we're going to study this coming Sunday puts it, Mark 8, 34, uh, if anyone would come after me, Jesus said he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That is faith. And we'll fail at it a thousand times. We'll take all sorts of detours and bad exit ramps and need to be called back into step with Christ's path for our life. But so long as those four truths govern our lives, uh, that God is perfect. I'm here for him. I exist for him. And yet I do fall short every single day And so number three, thank God I have a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. And number four, Father, help me to trust in your grace, to follow you in faith more each and every day. If those four truths are present, Brandon, then you've got a holistic, biblical, saving gospel to share with your coworkers. Thanks, Pastor Will. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or online under the resources tab at our website at westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.